What's up, everybody? Happy Super Bowl Sunday, or happy recovering from Super Bowl Sunday, whenever you're listening to this. Um, this is Matt DeMarinas from Light and Blue Review, sitting with Johnny Ataba from the Omaha World Herald. After Creighton's 76-54 win over Xavier on Sunday afternoon at the CHI, is it Chico? You call it, you call it Chico? Are you going with that? Yeah. I think I'm going CHI. Just CHI. I go with CHI, too. I don't, I think any other. I don't other. like saying Chico. It sounds weird. Like, as a place of intimidation. Chico. Yeah, just the Chico. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I that doesn't fit. Either. The shy, but I don't shy. know. I haven't heard that, of that oh, yeah, That's where I was. I, I mean, that was my preference of all of them, but I don't feel like that works either. Yeah. I think so. I'm still workshopping a nickname. I haven't put much thought into it. Um, yeah, so Jay's role, Xavier. Xavier looked Maybe there's of, some, like, hospital pun that we can go with. There has to be. Yeah. Xavier probably needed some medical attention. The ER, the gurney. Although with Creighton's injuries, you could argue they are at the hospital, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway. No, yeah, Xavier looked kind of how, I don't know, kind of like the team I've seen them look like all year. They just aren't very good. Uh, They've got a lot of length. They've got some skilled guys out there that, I mean, Tyreek Jones is a a load inside. They didn't get in the ball nearly enough. But, you know, I thought the Jays really defended really well. Uh, didn't let anybody really get going for Xavier, so there wasn't anybody that you were worried about in terms of who got into a rhythm. I think Gooden maybe hit two threes in a row, but I think he, you know he was two for seven from three the rest of the day. So big game from Martin Crample. The Jays didn't need the three ball today. They forced some turnovers, got got enough stops, um, and rolled to a twenty-two point win. So good bounce back from the St. John's debacle. Can we say debacle? Debacle over the front. Probably fair. Yeah, I mean, talking to Davion Mintz after that game, he said it was the worst loss of the year. He said it was embarrassing, so yeah. that's pretty much. Well, it's always a good thing, I think, when you have a team that, I mean, I talked to Mitch Bally, Martin Crumple, and Davion Mintz, and their general sort of reaction to that game against St. John's was that they did not bring enough energy, enough fight, enough grit, mm-hmm. enough toughness. And so then when you see the result of Sunday after you know not having what they wanted to Wednesday to bring it Sunday, I think that's a good sign that they were able to sort of address the issue and apply sort of the whatever lesson that they learned. Right. Which Balak said after the game that it was just really just a mindset um, that you come out with that 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 energy. But um, whatever it is, they had it. And it was evident from the start. Mm-hmm. Martin Crumple forced a couple turnovers, hedging on ball screens. Uh, they got a shot clock violation, which the crowd really appreciated early on in the game. And I thought the crowd was reacting really well to all of Creighton's hustle plays, effort yeah, and yeah. hustle plays mm-hmm. defensively. I thought, right. you know, normally it's a crowd that feeds off of the three ball or the lob play, but I thought they were really getting behind the Jays and providing some extra juice in the building when Creighton would make a a tough, strong yeah. hustle play defensively, especially. Right, and so. You know, I, I thought against St. John's they had it for a stretch. Okay. Against St. John's, uh, there was a there was a or play. Martin, you remember Marcus Zagorowski against St. John's made a steal, like he ripped the ball away from from Shamori Pons and then dove for it. Yep. Uh, court, yeah. There, Martin Crumple went to the floor and got a, a jump ball. Mitch Ballack made that play where he he dove for a loose ball and got called for a foul, mm-hmm. even though Shamori didn't dive and and he, Mitch was called for the foul. I was like. There were a few plays during a stretch midway through the first half of that game against St. John's on Wednesday where I thought Creighton had 
had the level of energy it needed, but the problem was it didn't have it before. It like took Creighton some time to sort of ramp up, ramp itself up, and then it did, the Jays didn't sustain it. And right. part of that, which Coach McDermott alluded to after the press conference, might have been the fact that Creighton wasn't hitting its threes or hitting its shots. St. John's hit him with a gut punch right before the end of the half, and it just seemed like Creighton never had that same level of tenacity that it, it wants to have, that it had against Georgetown and Butler, and it shows up in so many different ways. Like To me, it's not only about diving on the floor. That's part of it, mm-hmm. but it's also battling on the glass and getting to getting those 50-50 rebounds that maybe look like they're coming to you but you or don't win to your, the opposition, but you battle for it. Like I thought they did a really good job against Butler and Georgetown doing that. Uh, just going up high and grabbing it. And um, it's rotating defensively, like being active, closing out aggressively, not just sort of sauntering over there to try to take away space, helping each other in, in driving lanes. If You know, you don't want to get beat, obviously, but if you do have a defender there, like against St. John's, I, I felt like the, the part of that was St. John's having so many shooters on the court and you had to stay attached to those guys. But right. it felt like if a St. John's player beat someone off the dribble – they had a wide-open path to the basket. I mean, St. John's made 20 of its 20, <coughs> 26 shots inside the arc. It was, that's that's a, a ridiculously high number, and to me that was a sign that just Creighton wasn't as um, just active with his defense. But it had that um, also on Sunday, too, being able to help one another out and, and um, you know, the hands. How many deflections? I wish I would have charted deflections. There were so many. Oh, yeah passes knocked away and that led to some turnovers. Sometimes it didn't, but it still disrupted Xavier enough to where um, Creighton was able to do... That's a pretty good word. I felt like, you know, Xavier for most of the game shot a decent percentage, especially in the first half. I think they were around 55% for much of the first half until the final maybe six or five or six minutes uh, where Creighton, Creighton kind of clamped down. But disruptive was what Creighton's defense was, which is you know, I, I mean, I'm not, said I don't, that I don't a lot. Know, yeah, I don't. I think they. I think they've they've shown effort uh, and ability to take away things. Uh, they've they've shown the ability to handle a scouting report, but I don't know if they've been as they've been as disruptive as they were today ever this yeah. year on that side of the floor. I mean, I thought because you can because you because you kind of like go into a balance of like if do you can you be disruptive if you're not an attacking defense. And I thought Creighton was more of an attacking defense, but still not quite into that. They weren't totally aggressive, but they did heat up some ball screens um, and force some turnovers that way and force some loose ball situations. Like, yeah, I just thought Creighton overall defensively was was way more disruptive than they've been at any point in the yeah. season. And I thought they sustained it for a longer period of time, which I think is another good thing to see because while you're looking for growth with a young nucleus and more consistency in their performances – I think they had a sustained effort defensively that didn't really drop off much. Today. I mean, you could argue maybe it was kind of Xavier wearing down a little bit, but in each half it got stronger as the half went on defensively. Right. Creighton did. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much of that disruption was related to Creighton's defenders just being more active with their hands, having their hands up, or if it was a, it's probably a little bit of both, but being a result of the Jays just being in a good spot, you know, like being faster to this spot. If they were recovering in their man-to-man defense, being quicker to be in position or, okay. or re- anticipating a little bit. Do you remember earlier in the season when Mac talked about guys thinking a little bit? Yeah. And if you're thinking, 
you're never going to be to the spot as fast as you need to be. Yeah. Like, I felt like today there was not as much thinking. I think that's kind of to your point. They were to the they were to where they needed to be faster, even on closeouts when they were just desperately trying to break rhythm. You know, there was not, like, there was not, all right, balls in the air, is it going to a shooter, do I need to close out here type of stuff that you could go into. Like, I think just if the ball was kicked out, whoever was catching it in the corner was there in the corner for a reason, I need to close out on that person. So I just thought everything that Creighton did to be disruptive defensively to break Xavier's rhythm, uh, to try to not make it easy for them to get whatever they were about to get was more instinctual than it was through a thought process. And I think you saw that's what I noticed today was their defense was just flying around a little bit more just on instinct and activity and and repetition than it was um, where do I need to be here? Am I in the wrong spot? Like that yeah. sort of thing. So I think that is to your point. Um, yeah, it just felt like against St. John's they were a step slow. And again, and it's it, like, and, and, well, they could, part of, I guess, first of all, St. John's, John's can make you look that way yeah. anyway, even when you're not. Right. And the other part of it is, yeah, if you are a step slow, it looks a lot, looks like it did. Yeah. Because it, it gets mm, bad. Yeah. Right. No, I totally agree. Martin Crample, big game today. Career high. Tied his career high with 23 points. So his, his two 23 point games in his career, one was last year against Angel Delgado, and today it was against Tyreek Jones. So, like, Something too, Martin playing against you know those more traditional, old school, physical. Big Although guys. he did get a lot of buckets against guards today too, and like he he scored on probably let's see I know he scored on Castlin, mm-hmm. he scored on Wellich, he scored on Hankins, he scored on Jones. I'm trying to think if he scored on anybody else. Uh, did he get Marshall ever? I don't, I don't know if he, if he got, Marshall, got Marshall or not. He might have drawn a foul on. No, Marshall. you're definitely right. He got he, some switches, but I but I still think he likes that physical. Oh no doubt. I mean, oh, yeah. he he loves being able to like throw his body into somebody and not having them fall over. Like, yes. and then he can kind of manipulate their reaction to that with it with a with his footwork or with a spin move or yeah, you know, with the elbow and the hips and everything like that. I thought his technique really showed itself because he had some resistance defensively today, and I thought that was. He was he was amazing. I, I mean, I know we're beating a dead horse here, but I really think he's the key to their. He's the key to as good as they can be offensively. Because when he when they when he gets a touch, especially inside, I mean, Creighton's offense is unstoppable. Good because you out. have so much to worry about yeah. when it's in there. Because you do have to, you do have, you can't double team him. You know what I mean? Because there's so many shooters on the floor, but you also can't stop him easily one on one. He can score against no against any. Big one on one, and he and it, or draw fouls at work. Right. So like, you know, he's seven for seven at the free throw line today, and eight of eleven on, from the field. So they're just it may yeah, it man. forces your defense to really take a risk because it, you have to figure out if you want to stop him, how do you do it, and right. who do you leave open, and are you getting a three bang in your face at, at the, as a result of it? So I think Creighton's offense, yeah, yeah, I mean, a touch for Martin, touches for Sam and Christian. Like I think inside is the key to unlocking as. Creighton's potential offensively. Especially in the half court. I mean, it seems like teams yeah. have done a pretty good job. Georgetown didn't, but Butler and St. John's and and um, and Xavier today, like they're, they don't want to give up anything in transition, so it's harder for Creighton to develop those easy looks. So it has to run, a, has to run its, its half court stuff a lot. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that Xavier's plan defensively was really that much different than what Butler did or what uh, 
St. John's did. No, or Nova. Like, the personnel. Or any of the defenses that like have traditionally given great yeah, problems, right? The personnel is a little bit different, but they do have length and they have the ability to put some put some ball pressure on you. Mm-hmm. But the Jays made a concerted effort to get it inside, and they were rewarded for it. I mean, to shoot fifty eight percent and only attempt. 15 threes for this offense is really impressive and right. uh, the Jays were at 12 three-point attempts until the final like two minutes when when they started running the clock out and then shooting a three at the end of the shot clock so um, that was the one thing about this offense that I was curious about is is to have another way to attack that's reliable and consistent I think we've talked a lot about yeah if, if the Jays are on shooting threes, I mean, you got to let it fly because they're really good at doing that. But what happens when they're off or what happens when teams really overload to the perimeter and just try to take those things away? Mm-hmm. Can Creighton come with, with something else? And they showed sort of a blueprint on Sunday that, that they can do it. And Martin Kroppel was really efficient when he got it down you there. Want, you want to hear something really funny? So, like, here's the breakdown of Creighton's points per possession first half, second half. So first half... They were two for four from three, okay? 1.28 points per possession. In the second half, they were five for 11 from three, 1.12 points per possession. Mm. So they scored more points per possession with fewer three-point attempts and through and makes. Yeah. Just by just going inside. Right. Getting the ball inside, getting the touches inside, getting downhill with the guards off the ball screens, uh, just dicing the defense up inside out. Yeah. And not necessarily you know, sitting out there and passing it around and jacking up things right. late in the shot clock, uh, I thought. Because, just, well, think about, I mean, I just think, my theory is, too, that, like, those threes, it's easier for those to fall when you're going inside out. Yeah. Maybe it's some, Maybe it's more psychological You know, if you're catching anything, a shot pocket when you're already spotted up, like, it's just yeah. a more, it's an easier shot. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And when you have to, like, turn to your side to catch one because somebody's passing it to you around the perimeter. Get and then your, you your feet set quick with a big defender coming square at you. and then go. You already have everything in place. Yeah. You just catch and go. The process is done already. You got to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, so, and Martin's a willing passer. He'll pass it out if he feels there's, yeah. the defense is collapsing. Martin's more willing passer than some of the guards are sometimes, which is funny because, <laughs> yeah. like, he gets positioned and right. sometimes they don't even look at it. But he it. had a nice that nice kick-out pass to uh, Tyshawn Alexander for an open three. Right. Um, and so, yeah, he's willing to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just they got to get it into him first. And, right. Um, yeah, that's a good sign. Now they're going to have to keep doing it because Villanova is going to use a well, similar strategy that Xavier did in the first half. Xavier Creighton also had a lot of success going into Martin early in the first yeah, Villanova yeah. game and that's they stopped right. doing it. Right. So, right. I thought they, they were humming offensively in the first half when they went to him and they did they stopped doing it in the second yeah. half until they were down like 10 already. You know what I mean? Like he only had a couple of touches in the second half in scoring position. Right. I think one of them ended up in a dunk. So, like, you've got to have it beat into your brain that. The key to unlocking just how efficient we possibly can be against a defense that's longer, more physical, is by going inside and making them, you know, try to have to defend with four backs against the where's the ball, who's moving where, you know. Right. If you cut around that stuff and the ball isn't in front of you, it's probably easier to just switch and defend when the ball's in front of you. But if the ball's already behind your defense and you're trying to chase cutters and Chase screens and figure out who is a dangerous is heading to a dangerous spot and not. It probably makes it harder to defend because you can't see ball and man when the ball's already inside. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's the like I said. I think that's where they have to keep going the rest of the year. It'll be make them more successful. Now, if I'm Villanova, though, I would. I mean, it's it's easier said than done with a college team because you you just you have guys that 
may not execute this, but so Xavier in the first half they switched all ball screens, and the second half Xavier, if the ball screen was set by Creighton's big man, which means that if Xavier was guarding it with a big man, um, that big man would hedge mm-hmm. and try to force the ball out of out of Creighton's hands. So they so they made a switch to their ball screen coverage mm-hmm. in the second half, and uh, if I'm a team playing Creighton, I do that, but I don't. I switch it even more than that, right? I go, we're switching all screens for this first four minutes, and the next four minutes, we're hedging hard. And the next four minutes... Uh, keep throwing the different... Yeah, just, right. Yeah. I think that's the best okay. way, because I, I thought that once when Xavier made that switch at the start of the second half, it took Creighton a while to settle in. Mm-hmm. I think they had four turnovers on a five-possession span, and yeah. that's when Xavier made its run. Eventually, the Jays adjusted, and they started flowing again and getting the ball inside and, and moving it inside out, but... To me, that that seems like the best formula is try to mix and match, and I, I would feel that Villanova is capable of doing that. But again, easier said than done when you're talking about college kids, because sometimes, uh, right. sometimes like even today, Creighton didn't Creighton call a play out of timeout, and like I mean, it was the first possession out of the timeout, and they forgot what play it was. Like the players were like, "Wait, what play are we running? What are we doing? Again? Yeah, <laughs> you think you know, right. and you think they know, but sometimes there's, it's, yeah, it's there's a, a lot in that head, right? There. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, turnovers were definitely, like, I, I agree with you that Creighton struggled to start the second half when they were trying to figure out what Xavier was doing. Um, a couple of them were just really sloppy turnovers yeah. and silly, but. But, I mean, I thought, you know, turnovers were a big part of, I guess when an offense is struggling like Xavier's, you don't want to give them rhythm. You want to, like, let them yeah. earn their rhythm. So not giving them as many turnovers and opportunities off turnovers was big today. I mean, Creighton had 13, but like you said, Four in that five possession stretch to start the second half, where the Xavier got the lead down to ten or nine. Did they eight. Get to, they eight? got to eight okay. a couple times. Yeah. So they got it to eight, and then uh, the rest of the game, Creighton only had nine turnovers on fifty-four possessions. So that's like fifteen percent, fifteen point five percent, I think. Fifteen point five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Can so uh, that. yeah, that's pretty like, good. Yeah, exactly. When okay. you're gonna if you're gonna play nearly seventy possessions, which Creighton tries to do, um, you'll that's fine. Yeah. That's a fine number. Um, let's see. You want to highlight Tyshawn Alexander? I do. Real quick? Do you it, want to? Like, because yeah, I thought so. Seven points is a season low, right? You looked that up. Yeah. Okay. So like, three for eight from the field, seven points, three boards, three assists. Like, that's not gonna jump out at anybody. I don't think anybody's gonna like think about this as like a Tyshawn Alexander game, if you will. But I just thought he was all over the place. Like, loose ball rebounds, loose balls on the floor. Defensively, you talk about the deflections that you didn't chart. Like yeah, he had I thought, he had a lot of deflections, especially one where Najee like thought he had an easy post with Tyreek, and Tyshawn just like pretty much jumped like the height of the rim to knock it away. Like, yeah. I I thought his activity level and, and he threw that Mac, charge. Yeah, yes, on Tyreek Jones. Yeah, exactly. And Mac mentioned like winning plays. I thought Tyshawn was the tone setter yeah. from with all of that stuff from the, from the beginning. So it was interesting in practice. I think it was a couple days ago. So probably Friday. They were doing their loose ball drill where the ball goes on the floor and um, you have to go dive for it. And one play, they rolled the ball sort of all of Creighton's players who were on the court. I think they had four of them on the court. Um, So they're underneath the basket in a defensive stance ready to go dive after the ball when it gets rolled. And and Greg McDermott rolled it behind him. So they kind of all had to run to the loose ball. Mm -hmm. And the coaches were a little bit... They they basically they, they wanted to sort of reinforce the notion that okay 
one guy is in the lead to go get it. That ball is close to one guy, and he's going to go dive. But the other guys on the floor also have to go chase that ball because you never know. Don't it's assume like, he's going to win right, that ball. It's like right. a fumble in, in football. You I can't assume the, that, that that ball is going to be gotten by the first guy. Mm-hmm. And so that play sticks out to me, the one where um, I think Martin hit the floor first and then Mitch hit the floor, and then Tyshawn was there to clean it up. I'm, I'm not, I I it felt like Tyshawn kind of came out of nowhere to go be there and be in the right spot to get it, but that mm-hmm. play just sort of stuck out to me as of of. It's now just, that was a collective effort, but but Tyshawn being the last guy there to get the ball wasn't a surprise given the way he impacted the game mm-hmm. on Sunday. Just and I think when you're I think when active. your leading scorer is the guy to do that, you know, like he only took eight shots today. I think when you I think I think he might have gotten more loose balls than shot attempts today. I think when your leading scorer is one who does that, whether he's a sophomore and maybe not in a leadership position, you know, I think you see that and you're like, that gives the whole team energy. It, like, sifts through. Um, so. We have a Marcus Ziggerowski. Yeah, okay. Update. Live update? What is Live it? update. I got suspense, suspense here. Is it good news? Is it, it bad news? I would say not ideal. But you wouldn't say bad. You didn't say bad, though. Uh, I would say bad. You would say bad? Yeah, I would say bad. If, if, it's, if it's just good or bad. It is, yeah, good or bad is what I asked. Yeah. So he'll be reevaluated. So he's out for Villanova. So the update is post-game. This is from Creighton's official team account. So post-game x-rays have confirmed that in today's Victory over Xavier. Freshman guard Marcus Zagorowski suffered a fifth metatarsal fracture. Meta, metacarpal. metacarpal metatarsal is a foot, maybe? Yes, that's true. Metacarpal. That's, that's Carp- that Jones fracture thing. Yeah. Metacarpal fracture in his right hand. So that's his shooting hand um, and his dominant hand, right? Dribbling wise. Even though he's pretty yeah. good with his both. So, he's pretty yeah. good with both. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, in his shooting hand and dominant ball hand. Uh, he will be reevaluated next week. So that probably eliminates him from the Villanova and. Seton Hall road games, right? I would think so. Maybe chance to play against Xavier again after the reevaluation. Right. I mean, what the way that McDermott phrased it after the game was that Marcus, they were going to have to decide could he play with the injury. They knew that the the, the injury was significant after the game. They just didn't know what exactly it was, and mm-hmm. now we know what it what, what it is. But the question has been: Can he play through it, or does he need surgery? And will he miss a lengthy period of time? Maybe even be out for the year. I think that's the yeah. that's the question. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm, the, not, I'm not. I'm not a. It uh, changes the tone of the this conversation, but yeah, uh, that's, and I'm and that's I'm tough. And I'm not a. Uh, I don't know anything about timetable or how long it would be if you had a procedure done or. How about what the feasibility is for playing with a so cast I'll, on your so hand? So I'll Google that injury while you fill the air with noise, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Do me a favor and speculate like you're a doctor, and then we'll tell you how wrong you are when I'm done looking at that. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speculate, but it. It's obviously. A, I mean, it's a big concern, um, and where Creighton is now from a depth perspective, Connor Cashall injured his shoulder shoulder last week. Um, it's not supposed to. It's not expected to be a long-term injury, right? Yeah, he's kind of like day to day. He did yeah. not suffer a break, right? So that so he's expected to be back at some point. They didn't when he was at, when I was at practice on Friday. 
the Jays hadn't like, ruled him out for the the game today, but um, he didn't play. He wasn't suited up. And Damian Jefferson's working his way back. It seems like he's doing more, but he's still, just from my vantage point, doesn't seem like he's ready to go yet. But the timetable on him was that it would be three to six weeks, and I think on Thursday we'll be at week three. So Creighton plays Villanova on Wednesday. So essentially the Jays are down to four healthy guards and three healthy big men. And uh, in this league, and with the way that Creighton wants to play, that obviously presents an issue because you've got three guys who play the five um, and then four guards who play the four guard spots. And so (laughs) I think that might force Creighton's hand. they got to play super, you, you right, play you as big to as play you possibly it. can be because yeah, right. there's no bodies left. Right. right. Um, Either that or it's Jordan Scurry time. I mean, because he they, did hit, the, he did give people Godfather's Pizza today, so he's on a little bit of a hot streak <laughs> for the fans. Like they might like, they might want to see him again as quickly as possible, uh, for sure. Yeah. Let's see. I see Westbrook had a hand injury, so I'm looking up to see how much time he missed. I don't know if he broke the fifth metacarpal, though. But it was a metacarpal bone that he broke. This was in his index finger. So I think Marcus is in his pinky. Right. So it's like on the base of his, uh, like the bottom of his hand type of deal. Side of his hand, maybe. Or, yeah. Yeah, so Marcus, or Westbrook broke it in 2014. So uh, Halloween... So let's see. Sorry for the dead air, folks. And, and the other thing, the other thing, I'm about, sure you guys want to know as we figure this out. So you're probably hanging in there. Well, and the other thing too that didn't he injure it on a rebound or something like that? It was like uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure because he was shaking it loose after that. I think it was like Xavier got an offensive board, and it was like with, there was like three or four guys around the ball, and I thought that's when it happened because he came out of that shaking his hand. He didn't have it wrapped yet, and he did go to the free throw line. I think a couple possessions later and hit. Two free throws. So with the shooting hand, I'm pretty sure he hit his three with it. I actually think I think he and when he he scored 13 points, so 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 most of those points were right with it. I I think and he did come out of that before he was shot shooting the free throws. I thought I saw him mouth to the coaches that he broke it. Like I thought I'm I'm not a great lip reader, but I pretty I think there's only so many words you can say when you're talking about a hand and a bone. Like broke looked like a pretty easy one to read when (laughs) he said that. Um, Well, yeah. So he played the whole first half. and he definitely was moving it around, grimacing at times. It seemed like it was bothering him worse at, during certain stretches than others. But um, then in the, at halftime, it was looked at. The Jays thought that they were going to have to shut him down. He's an r- extreme competitor, um, a guy who is not afraid to, pay, to, to play through some pain. Um, they wrapped it up pretty good, and, and he went out there for... How many minutes did he play in the second half? I mean, not. Um, he was definitely limited. I feel like he wasn't able to use his right hand as as effectively as he normally does. But um, he contributed. I think he made a layup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with twelve the right, minutes in the second half. Twelve minutes with yeah. the right. Yeah. So um, took two shots, had two turnovers, and an assist and a right. steal. So yeah, he did stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Um. But Westbrook, so Westbrook suffered the injury to his index finger. So it's not the same. Marcus is th- is on his pinky, 
and he popped it back in place after it happened too. So um, that's what we know so far. But Westbrook missed a month, and it was 13 games total. So he played on October 30th is when he heard it, and then he came back November 28th is when he started playing again. Um, so that's Russell Westbrook when he broke his finger and had to miss some time. But his was his index finger. Marcus's is his pinky, so I don't know if there's a difference there in terms of the recovery or the treatment option, you know what I mean? Right. So there's a little bit of a difference. Well, oh, that, here's, that, here's a, a Evan Longoria hit by a pitch. This is the uh, last season in June. Hit by a pitch, and he suffered a fifth metacarpal injury. Six, so six, he six, fractured his fifth metacarpal so did Madison Bumgarner, Bum, Bum, Madison Bumgarner too. He probably heard his falling off the, falling off the so was, RV. He took he had surgery now, and he was out for six to eight weeks. Yeah. So if 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 they have to opt for surgery, I think that was the kind of the question that Greg McDermott or, or sort of the uh, deliberation that I think Greg McDermott said that they were going to have over the course of the next few days was right. Doesn't need surgery, so this is obviously. It's baseball, a different sport, maybe gives you some sort of frame of reference where, it, um, yeah, Long, Longoria had had surgery on the on the hand, and he was out for six to eight weeks. And yeah, so that, so was, it that, like was, surgery, that would be season ending, yeah. basically. So it right? sounds like su- pretty, pretty much. Where are we at? And it Start of February? Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. maybe a return in the Big end of East March. tournament, yeah. right? Like, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So they, they haven't, they didn't say anything about surgery. Obviously, as you're hearing this, we're speculating it after the game about his treatment options and everything. So we'll know more tomorrow at practice, yeah. and we'll give you guys some updates. So that's pretty much all we can say about it for now, um, other than speculating on what they do going forward. And, again, we think – I'm in total agreement with what John said, is that it pretty much forces Creighton to go big now because they need bodies, and yeah, that's all they have left. Unless you want to play – Four well, guards if for you 40 want to, minutes. Yeah, you just can't exactly. You're just you just you can't play the guard lineup at the pace you want to play it at now. So it's kind of forced them to be different. Yeah. So um, scrap everything you think you know, except for that Creighton's good at shooting the three and that Martinez good inside because it might be a little bit of a different team, which is beneficial in the short term because it makes you tough to prepare for because you don't. I don't think Villanova will know what Creighton's going to do, um, you know, in a couple nights. So. There is an advantage to it. Like I think, not having Ronnie last year was threw Villanova out of whack a little bit in terms yeah. of what they were prepared for. So there is. It's not necessarily doom and gloom in the short term because you do catch teams off guard because of the way coaches scout in this league. Um, when you, you know, I mean, when when Justin Simon played only seven minutes the other night because of a migraine, that arguably made St. John's more dangerous. <laughs> it did, actually, Because yeah. Creighton usually backs off a of Simon, and they brought in another shooter, so... Well, it kind of threw... It definitely threw Creighton's game plan out of whack. Yes, yes. they wanted to have Martin Crumple guard the non-shooter and let him settle in and help on drives. Right. And suddenly, he had to guard a shooter, and it's like, what? Yeah. Chase kind of just... Yeah, so that's all we'll go through on that one today, but obviously, Marcus is a big part of what they do. Uh, just, he's going to be a superstar in this league. There's no question in my mind about that. Um... So it will be a pretty big loss. There's no there's no doubt about that. But for now, it's just a short-term thing, and uh, we'll know more tomorrow for you guys. Um, should we get to questions now? Yeah. We're at 30 minutes. Got to get to the Super Bowl. Um, let's see here. 
Uh, okay, first question from Joey Tempo. How does the Cashaw injury project PT for Bishop and Froling moving forward? How does it change our sets? Uh, well, we don't know what the long-term prognosis of Connor Cashaw is right now. Like right now, I'm just assuming it's day-to-day, and that's pretty much. I mean, they he didn't suffer a break, so that's good news. Um, but he hasn't practiced or gotten even close to lifting that thing in any kind of manner. Yeah. So, um, I would say he's out for at least next week. Wouldn't you? I would based say on his mobility of the shoulder at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough to speculate on, too. Right. But what does it change, I guess, is the better question. That's what they want to know. PT well, for Bishop it, it and didn't, It didn't change anything today. Right. Um, I don't think Graydon even went big with two bigs on the court today. No, they, they played some with Sam and Martina the floor they at the same didn't. time. Okay, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Um, Xavier didn't... Xavier really didn't force Creighton's hand in that major. Right. So it, was, Creighton, it was when Xavier went big, Creighton went big back. Yeah. Creighton's preference is always to play small. Mm-hmm. But, so... It was able to do that, uh, but if you're take if you're talking about having no cash on no Zagorowski, then that I think. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, because then you got you either have Mitch playing forty minutes at the floor, or you're going super super small with bringing Caleb in for the extra minutes that cash on might get. Yeah. Um, well, you either because yeah. then Caleb plays your two. Tyshawn probably moves over to your four if you want to spell Mitch or vice versa. Like yeah, that's just yeah, there's that's a super just, small lineup <laughs> on the floor. Either way, you're going six three or under, six five or under. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Caleb played well today though, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if all of Cashaw's minutes go to Caleb, and then without Marcus, then. Bishop and Frolin just play more because Creighton has to be bigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think it changes any of their sets. They run a lot of free-flowing ball screen. With the, like, they have the big set ball screens and get mismatches and stuff like that. I don't know. Right. I'm trying to think if they run anything specific for Sam or Christian. I don't think they do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, so, no, nothing. Um, let's see. I think I think the only thing that's different with two bigs in the lineup is just trying to get that spacing and timing down. Yeah. I don't think it's really a set play. Deal. It probably takes away Martinez touches the five what it does cuz he has to play the four. Yeah. When they're in the when when Sam or Christian are in the, on the floor, Martinez has to play the four which means he has to pick and pop more than he has to post up and yeah, get right. down low. So yeah, Creighton might mix up their offense a little bit with having to use the lineup more just because of like we said, going to the big bodies, you need people, not necessarily matchups, um, in order to get Martinez post ups. Because I do think he's the best low post player they have still. But th- yeah, normally th- when the big lineup comes in, he has to play on the perimeter. Right. So. Um, I think the scary thing is defense, um, just because with two bigs on the court against Villanova's guard oriented lineup. Right. How sure. do you, how are you out? Are you able to get out to shooters? Are you able to stop the drive? Like a guy like City Bay, um, could be somebody who has a really big day. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah. This one's from Brian. Who is your Smash Bros main? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you play Su- Super play Smash Brothers. No. Super Smash. Brothers? You never play? No. I'm a Captain Falcon guy. Are you? Is that like? Does that include like the old? Uh, What's the school? Old. I'm not a big Smash Bros. 
guy. I mean, I was more Mario Kart. That was my game of choice or preference. Yeah. But um, I'm the family I married into. My my new brother in laws love that game. So I all right. We we play every now and then. So I'm I'm, yeah. I'm going with Captain. What was Captain that? Falcon. I can't remember what that game was with the fox and the jet though. Like what was that game? That was mine when I was a kid. I played the fox and the jet. He was like a fox looking thing. He had like, he was like a pilot, but he like looked like a fox. Star Fox? Oh, that yeah, that's okay. a thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Star Fox was mine. Okay. I played, like, Mario on Super Nintendo, but okay. not Smash, Smash Brothers. Not Smash is like Brothers is like that Battle Royale game where you just try to knock each other off the ledge or, or put together combo moves. and. Okay. So who was your go-to then? Kill each other. In a, battle royale, in a battle royale <laughs> setting, I don't know. Yeah, we were in jets. What was your what was your go to? Yeah. Who's your what's your answer? I would go. Uh, I would go Captain Falcon. Captain, you Falcon. might be like a Donkey Kong guy. Okay, I think DK's in there. Maybe you're a. Maybe you're a Jigglypuff. Me? Yeah, that that's your, that would be, be your. I'd your probably dad. be Donkey Kong. But Is that your? I yeah. mean, well, I'm just gonna go with Star Fox. I think that's what it's called. I have to look it up. All right. I'll have a better answer for you later. Not on the podcast. We'll, we'll have to make you play some Smash Bros. Smash Brothers. All yeah. right. Deal. Uh, this one's from Jeff. Uh, Jeff Conka. I really enjoy your podcast. What should we expect? Well, first of all, thank you, Jeff. Uh, you say thank you? Thank you, Jeff. All right, there you go. Um, what should we expect from Denzel Mahoney next year? What are his strengths and how big of an impact can he make? Um, I expect him to play, one. Uh, two, his strengths are shoot the daylights out of the three ball, yes. provide length at the three spot defensively a little bit. He's got, what was his wingspan? 6'11". 6'11 right? wingspan, yeah. So he's got a 6'11 wingspan. Um, he's strong, really strong. Uh, Gets to the foul line. Yeah, lot. he can score through contact, draws fouls really well, uses yeah. his body well, doesn't get knocked off balance very much. So He is very good against the zone. Yeah. I think offensively, he's like a below-the-rim Marcus Foster. I think he can Yeah, that's get, probably pretty good. You know good. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. He's not going to be flying up there and punching on dudes, but I think he can get into the – I think he can post up like Marcus could. He can shoot like Marcus could. So just like a little bit less explosive, but a sturdier version. Still really effective. Yeah. yeah. He might actually be able to get yeah. – well, he'll definitely get to the foul line more than Marcus did. No doubt. No doubt. I, um, yeah, I don't know if he'll make that same type of impact. What Marcus yeah, scored, like 17 a game. Right. When he came in on his first year after transfer, he seemed Denzel seems more like a ten to twelve point a game type of guy, but he could also be a player who turns into sort of a go to guy down the stretch of games where if you really need a bucket, you get the ball to him because he has such a knack for scoring mm-hmm. in different ways, and he's so physical that you know it presents a problem. Yeah, um, for for um, he presents a matchup problem for. Mm-hmm. for uh, for other teams, so I'm eager to see what he can do because he he sure. uh, he uh, he has to be a, he has a chance to be a really underrated ad. Like yeah. I think the transfer market didn't necessarily have his name popping all over it. No, and no. he was the guy Creighton got after missing on some more high profile guys like Matt Mahone, Matt Mooney, and uh, Joe Cremo. Yeah, but those are the grad transfers. They miss on a couple like well, uh, yeah, sit out transfers. I kind of that... throw it all in together the same thing. But yeah, you're right. But the, they missed on some transfers, and I think that kind of. <clears throat> sent people into thinking that they missed on their targets, but yeah, the, they, Mahoney they had a chance more, to be impactful. They were looking at that kid out of Washington State. 
uh, Malachi Flynn. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. I think they were there was some chatter that they were interested in the guy who ended up transferring to uh, from Utah State to Marquette. <clears throat> so, uh, Kobe McEwen. Yeah, yeah. So they lost. They didn't get those two, but then they they found Denzel, and I I, I actually think Denzel is going to be a nice piece I and, do too. and something that they need. Like they need length and size on the perimeter. Um, at that wing spot, and I think he'll be able to bring that. So, th- I think to me, that's that more than anything is what stands out about Denzel is he is a player who has a skill set that Creighton doesn't have, or or he has the, certainly the body type, but he he just adds something that yeah. Creighton doesn't have right like now. Like he's got all the skills they already have, and then he adds something more with the physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Good question. We don't get much Denzel Mahoney questions. I think that's it. Those are all our questions. People don't have any questions for us when Creighton wins by 22. <laughs> well, game kind um, of spoke for itself, honestly. Yeah. So I guess the 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 takeaways now are Creighton had a lot of teeth defensively today. They won by 22 against Xavier, which is not easy to do. It's very rare that Xavier gets blown out like this, even though they are pretty bad this year. Um, they still have – they played Villanova at Villanova, and they played Marquette twice. And I think uh, Marquette won by 18 in Milwaukee – one by five in Cincy and Villanova one by ten in Philly. So no one's put it on Xavier the way Creighton did today yet, despite them being down and in yeah, Creighton never led or Creighton tra- led never trailed. Creighton never trailed. Right, right. Um, also, I'm pretty sure Xavier. I looked this up. I think it's 22 years the last time Xavier's had a losing record at the end of the year. Really? So wow. Xavier fell to 11 and 12 and kind of looks on track to yes not finish above 500 for the first time in 22 seasons. Agreed. But um, Xavier gets to play Creighton in 10 days. So, <laughs> yeah, God, that is wild, man. Quick turnaround. Coming into today, the next four of the next five games for Creighton were Xavier and Seton Hall. <laughs> They're just going to knock those series away right. Right, right, next five games. Weird Most schedule. bizarre schedule. Weird. Um, any thoughts on the Villanova game before we wrap up? I guess they're nine and zero in league play, just humming along. Yeah, I tried to. Colin Gillespie dropped a thirty piece on Villanova or on Georgetown today. Did he? Yeah, so he's a new thing now. Well, he's been kind of the difference. One of the difference makers for them is just his ability to make threes. Mm-hmm. I think that he was six of eleven today at the Georgetown. start of the season. Nobody was hitting really, but particularly the supporting cast just was not. They could not rely on those guys. And today was a tough day for the Quinterly fans. Was uh, it? Yeah. Because it's Gillespie. Because Gillespie's not losing playing time anytime soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I mean, in my Dude, head, I, guess, I keep thinking. Let me, let me ask you this I question. Keep thinking what's, that, a percent, what's the percentage you're putting? What does Ken Palm have it at? But, like, we'll look at that in a second. I'll look, but, at, I'll look at it. So what's, so what's the percentage uh, that you'll give Creighton to win at Villanova? Well, okay. Did you see Indiana go to Michigan State and win mm-hmm. yesterday? I watched it, but I still don't understand what I watched. <laughs> Without their best player. Without their best player. Juwan yes. Morgan got I know, that's what I mean. Through. I was like, I was like in the twilight zone because Morgan got hurt early, and then okay. all of a sudden. I was going to say 25%. Okay. Ken Palm says 23%. That's a pretty good range, right? Yeah. Says um, he's, Ken, Ken Palm says 81-73. Really? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be closer than it was in Omaha. That's, that's what he projects. Um... Let's see. I, I mean, without Marcus, I don't think. I think it will take close to a miracle. Everybody's got to be on. Villanova's got to have some guys off. Yeah. 
I, I still think um, that Villanova's due for a game where it is off. Maybe that happened. I didn't, okay. again, I didn't watch the Georgetown game, so maybe I don't think Colin Gillespie's 30 pieces considered an off game. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not going to feel free to not but include I will, that in the The one thing about experience and veteran play is mm. you usually find that those guys are more consistent than yes. their younger peers or counterparts. Are you saying Creighton's going to be more consistent when this group gets older? You would think, yes. <laughs> but Phil Booth and... What? And, right, no one believes that. Phil Booth and Eric Pasco are those two guys who um, have just been rocks. Yeah. And so you know what you're going to get from them each time it's out. It's almost like Villanova nice... remembered in December that they have two guys that have won national championships. <laughs> and they're like, hey, let's let's feature these guys more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they... Booth, I mean, I don't know if you've seen his numbers. Marcus Howard is the the lead for me. Marcus Howard's the leader for Big East Player of the Year. But he's and Shamori Pond has got a lot of a yeah. lot of hype. But Phil Booth is yeah. incredible. He is doing he's doing some amazing things in a lot of different areas. And and his feel for the game is just it's at a next it's at a next level. Like Josh Hart had the winning factor, and he did. He made plays to help his team win, but like Phil Booth kind of feels like he's having a Josh Hart type impact right now, mm-hmm. and so he, yeah, it's gonna be. It, I mean, it's really tough, but it's college basketball. So like yeah. you go, you they're gonna the ball's gonna be out there on the court, and you're gonna have an opportunity to win a game. So Creighton's players need to go in the with the mindset, and I believe they will that they can find a way to get a win because it, yeah, anything can happen. NC State scored 24 points in the game. <laughs> Why did you bring that up? I don't even want to remember that. Well, I was just saying that. Is it hard? It hasn't got out of your head yet. Sport, the two things that are at the top of your mind are Indiana pulling off a miracle somehow without Morgan and, and NC State, State scoring 20, 24 points right. in the Does that game. make any sense to you at all? No. Any of those two things? No. All right. Yeah, so. No. I mean, had they done that against Virginia, not Virginia Tech, it yeah, might have made a little bit of. I was like, God, Virginia, you just take the joy out of basketball. But. Yeah. Yeah, no, Virginia. I had a double take because I thought when NC State was having trouble scoring, it was like five to two with like twelve minutes left in the first half. I go, why? And I saw the VA, and I was like, oh. And then it took me like another hour to realize that wasn't Virginia; it was Virginia Tech. Right. I'm like, oh man, what's the? There's no excuse for that. Yeah, um, yeah it's gonna be. I mean, this road trip's gonna be really tough because Villanova is just a buzzsaw right now, and Seton, Seton Hall, Hall is be, like they'll be desperate. Yes. They, they don't play for a week. They have a week to prepare for Creighton, I think. Because they felt like they got one stolen from them at Hinkle. And that, did you watch that game at all? Yeah. Did you see that goaltending call? Yeah, I mean, how live. How was that a goaltending I don't know, live I thought it was because of how high it was. I didn't but, the shot was going to get to the rim. Oh, yeah. I thought it was live, but then when I saw the replay, I was like, no, that's not. I, no. was, I, I made the wrong call. But I think it was deceiving just because of how long the ball was in the air. Right. You know, but it was it, to me, yeah. it was like still on its way up. I don't I mean, think they had, they had a chance to go in, when they, especially when they blocked it. Like, yeah. by that time, it was dead. Like, um, so yeah, they kind of got. I mean, they went. They were. It's their fault for being down. They were 17, down by a lot. Yeah, they still battled back and had a chance to win. I think it got taken away from them. So they might be a little bit hungry with that. I think they have some time off too. They have a week. That's off what I'm saying. Too. They have a week. Yeah, so they have a week off to like just prepare and um, get mad. Get mad about that. Yeah. Um, and then they'll face Creighton, who will probably be without Marcus Zagorowski. So yeah, it's not going to be easy. And then they, and then oh by the way, they have to Creighton has to finish out that road trip at Xavier with the team they just. Housed, so um, they're walking. Gotta in. get at least they're one. They're gonna face a buzzsaw, and then yeah, two hornets. They, they gotta get at least one on this trip. Two hornets nests. So. They gotta get at least one on this trip. Yeah, they gotta. They gotta. Gotta. That's my thought. Find a way. The, the find a way Jays this weekend. Um, all right, let's. Well, that'll do it for us. Um, let's see. Uh, 
John's work, Omaha.com, buy a newspaper, you got anything coming up that people should be tantalized about? TBD. Well, I mean, awesome Jays coverage, for sure. Yeah, no question. Baseball I mean, season's right around the, the corner. That's the given. I don't, yeah. If you're into that. Yeah, that's right. Continued basketball coverage, obviously, but... Yeah. And still 699 for all sports? For all sports. Cool. Um, I mean, you can, buy, you can buy it just for the Jays. You know, you don't have to read anything else, but... Okay. Six nine nine is pretty. Do you prefer? Do you prefer cover. like to walk around town and see people reading your stuff in a newspaper, or do you care if it's on the tablet? Which do you prefer? Does it matter? No, doesn't matter. As long I, as you yeah, see the byline, you're good to go. You're right. like, thanks, man. I'm proud of that. I'm, honestly, I think, um, I think that hard copy paper is is pretty cool, but I guess I'm in the minority because that thing's dying off. <laughs> right? People <laughs> like the tablets more. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. Uh, and then White and Blue Review, um, both places, obviously, for the recaps. We'll have notebooks. We'll have this podcast. Um, we'll have another, we're doing another podcast Monday night, tomorrow at Script Town. Um, so come on out if you're bored and want to talk some Jays. We'll uh, talk to Jordan Scurry uh, tomorrow after practice. So we'll have an interview with him and an update on Marcus Zagorowski, obviously. Uh, and I think we're going to do a watch party for Villanova. Watch party! Watch party! Right now, it's the unofficial victory bar of the Jays. So, like, because it's only two games, a small sample size. I forgot to factor that in. So, you're doing on a watch party. For Villanova. 2-0. Yeah. So, that probably bumps up Creighton's win percentage to about 40. Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. They got a shot. So, 40% chance the Jays win without Zagorowski because of the location of the watch party. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're 2-0 yeah, so right now, aren't you? I, hey, the O is there, right? We're gonna, I wanted it tested against Villanova. <laughs> Because like if, bring on if, Nova, yeah. Because if the miracle that happens, is, then it is a foolproof. That's like, what I heard that you yeah. guys were chanting, "Bring on Nova" uh, at the yeah, last watch party. That might have never been said. <laughs> okay. actually. I don't think one person said that okay. actually. Um. <laughs> survive, yeah. survive. The Creighton survive. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was. We Georgetown. don't want Nova. Oh, what it was like, don't was. no Nova, no Nova. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, that'll be when do they play Nova? Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday night at Town Brewing watch party. Um, yeah, so until then, uh, have a good week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Um, or if you're listening to it tomorrow on Monday, I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. I hope your team won. I hope you enjoyed some commercials. What are you looking forward to commercial-wise tonight? Nothing. Nothing. I'm over it. I want to see an Avengers Endgame trailer again. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think there's going to be a TV spot. I'm so disappointed with the commercials, and every year I get excited that, oh, this is going to be the year that I'm going to like. I'm going to be very entertained by these commercials, and they, they're always duds. So. Yeah, they're kind of going downhill. Maroon yeah. 5, excited about that. Are you Maroon 5? I yeah. actually do like Maroon 5. I do too. Yeah, so yeah. Someone, I saw someone, Roger Sherman, do you know who that is? I don't know. I, he's like, he's got a lot of followers and he writes, I think, but like a national mm-hmm. guy. He wanted Red Panda to be the halftime act. And I just thought to myself, man, you can't have people close to the stage because the bulls are going to hit people in the face. <laughs> lawsuits. Um, yeah, he wanted Red Panda over Maroon 5, so mm. glad that's not happening. Gosh. In my opinion. I. Um, Do you got a pick? Uh, for the game? Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the Rams are going to win, but I can't pick against Brady because he's the GOAT, so Patriots. Oh, come on. Well, what's that mean, then? 
I think, the, I, think the, I think the Rams are the better team, but okay. I think the GOAT will override that. All right. I, like, actually, I, I like so, that. I like that. I yeah. agree with that. So, like, I don't know, I don't know a score, but I, no matter what type of game plays out, Brady will find a way to So you, essentially, what you're saying is that you are too afraid to pick against Brady. Yeah, I'll absolutely. Yeah. Same it's like, it's like, Oh, I am too. I'm not, yeah. that wasn't a judgment. I'm, that's it's, like an, it's, like, it's like what the Eastern Conference has dealt with with LeBron and, like, what the NBA dealt with with MJ. Like, yeah, these teams can beat the Bulls, but am I going to pick... Other. Them to yeah. to, to with the, with that dude on the team no like that's just that's just what you do with greatness as it plays through its career like you don't bet against it right you know so probably root against it even though I like Brady a lot of people hate him so um, what do you think Rams Patriots no yeah I got the Patriots win it I don't know comfortably or do you think it's like the Brady no, finds a way to win I think yeah, they'll be a good one okay. all right well until then everybody I hope you have a nice Sunday um, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.